Welcome to the Kingstonian, a program that profiles individuals who are passionate about what they do for a living, about what organization they belong to, or simply passionate about the community they are a part of. Good morning and welcome to the program. My name is Dave Cunningham and our guest today is Nancy Cutway. Good morning, Nancy. Good morning, Dave. Nancy is here to talk about genealogy. And Nancy has been a member of the Kingston branch of the Ontario Genealogical Society since 1978. And last year was awarded an honorary life membership in the organization. So you know a lot about what genealogy is all about. Well, I do. And... Uh, for people who don't know, you can say family history instead of genealogy. We, we all want to study our family history, find our roots, go back further than grandma and grandpa and see who came before us. Sometimes people want to know who's the first peop- ancestors who came from the old country, whatever the old country was. Or how did somebody who was born in Storrington Township end up out in Manitoba, that sort of question. And what good genealogists do is try to get more than just figures, birth, marriage, death, dates. You want much more than dates. You want to be able to get a sense of the person who was behind the dates and what their life was like. And that's what we do. And uh, the Ontario Genealogical Society has existed since 1961, and there are now 34 geographical branches. So Kingston is a geographical branch. We we tend to focus on any research we do or publications we put out on Frontenac and Lennox and Addington counties. And we also serve, because we're here, for people who live in Kingston and area to meet and get together Probably most of our members at a given meeting wouldn't be looking at ancestors who lived in the Kingston area, but they, because they live here, they want to network with people, they want to talk about how somebody else has done research in Devonshire or Cornwall back in England and can maybe give them some tips on how they can do their research. So we sort of are a, a split. We, we focus on records from this area, but we also focus on helping our local members reach out to the world and give them tips on how to find their, their people. Now, if you joined the organization back in 1978, what kind of interest is there in looking into your family history now as compared to back then? Has it increased? I would think so. I think things like... Well, just in in 77 was the series on TV, Roots, and I think that was a a big boost to people's interest in in looking at their roots. And over the years, there have been other shows and programs like Who Do You Think You Are that take some celebrities and look at their ancestry. And that these periodically give boosts. But I think a lot of people also just want to find out where they are from. And... As technology has changed, in some ways it's easier to find records. People seem to think now that they can just go on the internet and find everything they need to know, which is certainly not the case. But on the other hand, you can go on the internet and find digitized images. So instead of having to figure out how to get to a little church in 
North Overshoe and see the North Overshoe church records, they have quite often now been digitized. So there's an image at some particular website of the North Overshoe church, and you can search it and download, and it. download it. Yeah. yeah. I guess when most people think about checking out their family history or finding out more about their ancestors, when they look at television, the image that they are bombarded with more frequently these days is the DNA testing. And uh, there are at least a couple of companies vying for people's attention when it comes to uh, promoting that. Uh, What's your view on DNA testing? How accurate is it and what does it actually do? Well, the DNA testing is another tool, but it's not the only tool you can use to do your genealogy. It can certainly corroborate paper research you've been doing over the years. And in in fact, I had my testing done in the summer with a company called uh, Family Tree DNA. And I got an email back from them in October with my results. So I saw this email come in, and I had been out of town. I'd been very busy, and I thought, oh, I'll I'll wait. I'll read that email after I've caught up with all the other emails. Well, before I even read that, I'd had an email from a fellow I met in 1980, and we knew from our paper research we were fifth cousins. But because he'd also tested with the same company, as soon as he got a new match, namely me, they send him an email automatically, and he gets told who his new match is and given my email. So he emailed and said, so I see we're cousins. But we already, of course, knew we were fifth cousins. But that was nice because it corroborated the mm-hmm. paper research, and it all, and to me it also validated the DNA, that the DNA is on track to find connections between people. Now, you alluded to it a little earlier when we first started chatting. And this is the answer to the question, uh, why should people look into their ancestry or why should they do research on family history? Well, I think people want a sense of connection and maybe even more these days than 20 or 30 years ago because people now move a lot. People are sort of living fragmented lives, so you're not growing up surrounded by your grandparents and your great aunts to tell you family stories. So a lot of people don't know those family stories firsthand, and so they want to find people who might have them. Because in the process of doing genealogy, often you connect with living people who might be your second cousins or your third cousin or whatever. And they might be the people who have the family Bible that's come down in their line, and they have the information you're just looking for. And, and a, it's more a sense of rootedness, too, because it, it, people will find out that they came from a little village in Scotland or England, and they, they might want to go back and visit the village and see if there are living, distant cousins there. I certainly have done that. I've gone to Scotland and met with second cousins that I'm not sure my father even knew about, but I have managed mm-hmm. to find them and connect with them. Now, how far have you gone back with some of your relatives in terms of what year? Well, it depends very much on the the line. Um, on my mother's side, because I'm descended from some early New England settlers, and their ancestry 
has been very well documented over the years, written up. I haven't I haven't had to do research back to Magna Carta signers, but I can go back to some Magna Carta signers because I can connect to those people. On the other hand, on some of the other lines, I can't get back much more than a great-grandfather. Uh, I have, I guess he's my great-great-great who came to Montreal from Germany, arrived about 1820. I know nothing about him before that, mm-hmm. other than he's from Germany, but that's that's it. For those people who may not remember, Magna Carta was... Magna Carta was 1215, and it was King John signing an agreement with the barons of England, and that produced the right of habeas corpus, that they couldn't throw you in jail without just cause, and they had to produce you for a trial. So it it was a great advance in uh, democracy, if you want to call it that. And according to these expert books I've found, I have ancestors who were on both sides of the agreement, uh, one of King John's half-brothers and some of the barons. So we're talking about the year 1215. We are. Yes. Now, in your research, and I know that I have done a bit of research myself on my family, and you find some interesting stories about people that you run across that are part of your family tree. Any particular couple of stories that stand out for you in your research? Well, I, I find them all interesting, but of course, and some people find things they don't want to find too. You do have to be prepared for the fact that you're going to find some uh, very short pregnancies, births without a marriage, that sort of thing. That's that's just very common. Or some ne'er-do-wells. And some ne'er-do-wells. Um, I have a great-great-grandfather who apparently lost his money on gambling and lost his property and his... He got bailed out by his parents, and then everything got put into his wife's name, so he couldn't gamble it away again. <laughs> um, I, ha- I, on the other hand, it's it's often the very ordinary in people who I find just as interesting. I was working just this week on my grandfather's first cousin, who had come from Scotland to Calgary in 1907. And he got married in 1911. I have the wedding write-up, and I have just managed to track down his bride arriving. So he must have written home after his first wife died to a girl from back home. She's from the same village in Scotland. And she came on the ship. She got on a ship July 15, 1911, in Liverpool, landed in Quebec City on... The 22nd, got on a train at noon, I even it even says when the train left, and got to Calgary in time to be married the next night to this fellow. And I was thinking, boy, that's a really <laughs> gutsy young woman. To, she hadn't seen him for a few years. There must have been letters back and forth. But to, to undertake all this, you know, it's... it's You read about mail-order brides, but she this was one of them, and she had... Not much money other than her prepaid ticket, so that was a pretty courageous step. And there wasn't Skype back then. No, they couldn't keep in touch with <laughs> Skype or uh, Twitter. So. <laughs> now, I can recall in, in a bit of research I did on my father, and he came with his family over from Scotland when he was two, and I got a copy of the Passenger Manifest for him, 
where they were asking him questions. Now, of course, keeping in mind he was two years old at the time, asking how many languages he could speak and whether he had a job to come to, which I thought was rather interesting for (laughs) a custom person to be asking uh, a two-year-old. If somebody wanted to get started in doing some family research, what's the best place to start? There are some very good how-to books. And if you're a book person, I'd suggest looking at one of them. And uh, we have a number in our local branch library. And our branch library holdings that used to be in the central library have been moved for the time being, the duration of the renovations, to the Isabel Turner branch. And anybody can go in and read them there. Um, There's also a number of, of good starting getting started guides online and I would suggest for anybody who's starting out you go to a website that's familysearch.org and that's the church the website of the Mormon church and as part of their belief the Mormons believe very strongly in doing family history and tying families together and they have lots of resources that they make freely available to everybody including some great how-to guides. So I would always suggest people start there. And I would also suggest you come to a local meeting because we are friendly people and we can also give you some hints and tips. And uh, we meet on the third Saturday of each month, except uh, we don't meet June through August or over December. But the third Saturday of every other month, we meet, and we currently meet at the Senior Center at 56 Francis Street, and we meet at 10 o'clock in the morning, so you can come a little beforehand. From, we're open from 9, and you can chit-chat with people and get a coffee, and learn, ask questions about how do I get started, and that might be a good way to go. When it comes to collating this information, when you start to pull it all together, is there a piece of software that you can utilize to record this data in that you would suggest? That's a really good question. There are a number of, of pieces of software. The one I prefer is called Legacy Family Tree. And if, you, if people put that into their web browser or Google, they'll find it. The one good thing about Legacy is it's free. Oh. It it has a deluxe edition with further bells and whistles, but most people are good for a number of years using the free version. Mm-hmm. And it's great because, as you say, it helps you organize the people because once you start collecting information, it's easy to get confused because in many families, the same names are used over and over. So, you know, John Smith Sr. and John Smith Jr. and John Smith III and whatnot, you get a little confused. So if you put them into a database program. It tracks them all for you. It shows you the relationship. It can help you figure out, oh, those two people are second cousins once removed. It can do all sorts of things for you. So it's a good idea, particularly when you're starting fresh. Don't wait until you've got a lot of the information. Start entering it as soon as you get it, Mm because you can always correct somebody's date if you've got the date wrong, but that way you don't have to copy it out and write it out again and write it out again. One of the things you mentioned earlier was looking for documents that you can find online that trace uh, some historical event. And census forms are one where someone has done a census 
and your family has been taken up in the census and you see who is living at the house at a given point in time. And exactly. sometimes it's not all family, but uh, they also give you an indication in some cases of what the man of the house was doing for a living. Exactly. Which is information that you may not have known previously. And we in Canada, we have one benefit that American census records don't offer. In Canada, they always asked your religious denomination. In the States, they did not because they were big on separation of church and state. But in Canada, that's always been a question on the census, which is great because if it says you're Wesleyan Methodist, you know what church you might want to go to for a baptismal record. So, or even just to find out, you know, maybe somebody was a active in the church and you might want to get a church history mm-hmm. that you can find. Now we've talked about a couple of different countries and is there in your research, uh, are there some countries that are easier to work with, let's say in terms of doing research than other countries? Well, I've only really had to work with Canada, the US and uh, Great Britain. So and they're all certainly easy to work with and more and more records are being digitized all the time but I do know I get notices of things being done the the Mormon church for instance is active around the world and so Italian records will be added this month and Brazilian baptisms might be added next month so I'd say it's getting easier and easier to access records from other parts of the world now, I had heard, I could be wrong, that it isn't as easy to access records in Ireland as it may be for Scotland or England. Well, that's true, and that's because of the historic events. Because in 1916, I think it was, the I could be wrong on the year, the um, Irish record office in Dublin was burned. And so the records burned, too. In many cases, there was a local duplicate kept in the county, and then they'd sent the original to the central record office. So some of those records from local counties are being rediscovered and and made available. There are always going to be gaps in Ireland, though, because of Mm -hmm. that destruction of records. The same holds true, apparently, in a lot of the southern states. Because courthouses were burned during the Civil War, the records all disappeared. Sometimes other sources can be found that that can fill in the gaps. Right, right. Uh, I, you mentioned earlier that there are times when you have to pay to get some information. Yes. Which is only natural. And uh, I'll just quote a circumstance when I was doing some research. Uh, because my father was born in Scotland, I was able to, to find the office that I would request a birth certificate for him. I obviously had to pay for it. And I was able to get the certificate for his parents as well. So it gave me some idea right down to where he was born. And when I went over to Scotland last year, we went to the town in which he was born. Unfortunately, the building was no longer there. Yeah. But at least you were on the street where your father was born, and that was kind of interesting. Exactly. And uh, <clears throat> it's sort of an indescribable feeling that you get when you, you know that part of your family tree was there, and that's one of the benefits of doing this thing. Oh, exactly. And and I, I've done the same. I was in Scotland, and the, the house my granny was born in was now a parking lot. But I turned to the right, and I could see just up on the high street, about three buildings away, 
was a building with its date carved into the stone over the door, and it was something like 1860. And I thought, Granny saw that building every day. She, on her way to school, she would have passed it. That sort of gave me a mm-hmm. shiver. There's a lot to be had by doing some research. And I want to thank you very much for uh, coming in and chatting about it. And uh, if people want more information, I guess the best place to go would be to the Kingston branch of the Ontario Genealogical Society. And you can get all the contact info by Googling that online. Exactly. Thanks for coming in. Thank you, Dave. This show is produced in collaboration with CFRC at Queen's University, Kingston, Ontario, with infrastructure support from Queen's Faculty of Engineering and Applied Science. CFRC is located on traditional Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee territory. Find more great podcasts at podcasts.cfrc.ca.